All right, it is day three of free agency. We are recording uh, around a little after 11 p.m. Eastern time on July 3rd. Um, third day of free agency has pretty much come and gone. Um, we've got some more signings. We've got a trade to talk about as well, possible extension coming up soon as well. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing good. Day three finally came. I've been waiting with bated breath for the signings of Jeff Green and Michael Carter Williams <laughs> to see where they go. So it's a good day to finally get that resolved. Yeah, all those people uh, that were really in tune for these far, far in depth role players, they got a couple of them today, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but we can start off with a signing that happened kind of probably, I want to say, 30 minutes to an hour after we finished recording last night, which was Avery Bradley re signing with the Clippers. Two years, $25 million, but the second year is mostly non-guaranteed. Um, I think Zach Lowe said that it could be like $14 million of the deal is guaranteed, um, which makes sense for the Clippers, a team that's looking to use their cap space next summer. And also for a player like Avery Bradley, who didn't appear to have any suitors, really. I mean, I'm not sure what teams the Clippers were outbidding in this process. Um, so, you know, a lot of these deals we've seen, and we'll get to a couple of them later, like the Jazz have done with Derek Favors um, and other things that they've done, um, is you, we see these multi-year deals, but on the surface, they really could just be one- or two-year deals with a third year being a team option or non-guaranteed because teams are so – they're hoarding their cap space because it's, it's such a – big thing in, in today's NBA with very few teams having it. So Avery Bradley could be back for a one-year deal, could end up being two years, $25 million. We'll see about that. But really, it's interesting because the Clippers, they drafted two guards for their backcourt, Shai Gilgis, Alexander, and Jerome Robinson. They've got Patrick Beverly coming back from injury. Um, they've got still got Lou Williams there. Obviously, they traded Austin Rivers for Marcin Gortat, which clears up a little bit of room here. But you have to figure that Avery Bradley, and, and if I was the Clippers, I would probably start Avery Bradley alongside Beverly, get that really nice defensive backcourt that can still obviously space the floor and hit threes at an above league average rate. Get Lou Williams kind of showing up both positions, playing his, you know, 30 minutes per game, kind of offensive oriented, of course. And, you know, Alexander and Robinson are going to have to fight for some minutes, um, which may not be good for their development. And I have some concerns about the Clippers plan moving forward in terms of you know, rebuilding versus trying to fight for a playoff spot because I don't think fighting for a playoff spot is a good idea in today's Western Conference after all these moves that these teams have made. But Avery Bradley is back. Um, he only played six games for them last year. He basically got injured right away after that Pistons-Clippers trade. Um, he's a guy who is a good defender, even though all the advanced metrics pretty much say he isn't a good team defender, just a good more one-on-one -on -one defender. But he can hit the three. He's tough. He'll play defense. Injury risk, of course. But, you know, I don't love this deal for the Clippers. But, again, Second year, mostly non-guaranteed. I also don't hate it. I just think that they gave him a little bit too money, too much money, considering the fact that there probably weren't any other teams bidding for his services. I agree. He only played six games with the Clippers last season after being traded to L.A. from Detroit. In Detroit, he had underperformed as well. Um, this was as high a deal as he could have expected in this market. It was he was definitely looked at as a steal going into free agency, just given the injuries that he had that he's had this year and the underperforming play that he had been producing so this is pretty good for him that second guarantee a little bit of pr protection on the Clippers end so that's nice um he gets a lot of money up front so I mean for Bradley is good we can't forget 2016-2017 he had the best year of his career um averaged 16.3 points per game hit close to 40 percent of his threes made all defensive first team so I'm sure the Clippers are clearly banking that he'll return to that form um it is interesting though they bring him in with this very guard heavy Clippers rotation as you already broke down. So it's an interesting deal. I think the Clippers have made a lot of moves within the margins that are that are okay. I'm not 
wild about any of them. Um, Avery Bradley just being another of those meh signings. Yeah, and the Clippers are in that kind of boat where this is the concerning period. I mean, I tweeted this out basically when once the signing was announced is – you you don't want to be stuck in this kind of NBA mediocrity where you're you know anywhere between an eight and eleven seed because you're not going to be bad enough to get a good draft pick which is where you usually get the stars if it's not through free agency which they have the LA connection somewhat um, so they could try and bank on that especially with cap space next summer and, and moving forward but you know in the in these situations you know what what do we see this Clippers teams being this year especially with the improved West I, I don't see them making the playoffs I mean they could be a nine seed they could be a ten seed. And in that case, you're not getting a good draft pick, and you're not making the playoffs. You're kind of stuck in the situation, and, and they've got the, these pieces. They've obviously added two young guys in their backcourt, but Beverly, I think, is about to turn 30. Avery Bradley's in the prime of his career. Tobias Harris is about to is in his prime, basically, as well. Marcin Gortat is out of it, is exiting his prime pretty quickly. Um, you know, Danilo Gallinari is going to be exiting his prime pretty much very quickly at this point. It's also injury prone. They've got pieces there that are going to keep them competitive, but not get them into the playoffs, and that's the the worst position to be in the NBA, in my opinion. I mean, I think that even though rebuilding comes with risks, obviously you can see a team like the Magic who, you know, they've still, they're still rebuilding and it's been God knows how long really. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of trust your front office if you do undergo a rebuild. Obviously they got Doc Rivers there as coach who doesn't want to do that. And Jerry West has brought in and doesn't seem like he wants to do that as well. But this is a risky situation in terms of they might accidentally lock themselves into being anywhere from a 7 to 10 seed for the next couple of years if they don't get anyone in free agency and they keep giving contracts out like this to guys that are good but not good enough to get you into the playoffs. Yeah, and, and honestly, the Clippers seem to me to be locked in that 8 to 10 spot moving forward. They, they have good individual pieces that collectively can form a pretty decent team but one you're in the western conference and two you're in the ridiculous western conference they're not really going to be able to make much more ground than that this will be a team that'll be interesting to watch i'm sure you know league pass days or that nba wednesday night on espn where you look oh the clippers are playing i mean they're a decent team but yeah all these moves they don't really raise their ceiling and their ceiling is very very limited yeah, I agree. It's concerning, but of course, things can change. Obviously, they, they're planning for next summer to add a, a key piece, and if they do that, you know, things change for their trajectory in terms of a franchise and being a, a consistent playoff team. And if they, if they strike out in free agency, we'll see what they use their money on um, in terms of maybe extending some of their guys, or if they really, at the next summer, maybe they realize, you know what, we're not getting out in free agency and we don't want to be stuck here, let's rebuild it then. Um, I, I don't blame them for not kind of directly going into the rebuild right now because you have to see if you can use that LA connection and that cap space and the couple of nice pieces they have to intrigue a star player to come there. But if they don't get a star player next summer, if I'm the Clippers, I mean, I'm probably going to just get rid of Doc because he doesn't want to do a rebuild and I'm looking to trade away whatever I can to get young assets and draft picks and, and, and rebuild this thing because the Warriors aren't going to go anywhere for the next couple of years. You've got other teams like the Thunder. The Lakers, if they don't trade away their young guys, are going to be good for a while now. Um, it's, it's concerning, but we'll have to watch the Clippers. And, and I always am interested by these teams that are kind of in this situation. Do they go for the rebuild? Do they try and fight for the playoffs? Do they actually get a star and become a, a top contender? So a lot of things can happen for the Clippers in, in one year. We'll see where they are basically a year from now, and we'll see if they're rebuilding or if they're really attracted to star and are actually contending for a championship. Um but let's go to a, a signing of a, a player, kind of, a, I think, in a similar boat to Avery Bradley, who basically got a similar deal, but he only got a one-year deal. That's Tyreek Evans to the Indiana Pacers for one year, $12 million. Um, I like this deal for the Pacers. Tyreek Evans had a huge – first of all, before we get to his an, an <laughs> analyzing what he's going to do in Indiana, what a botch of the situation in Memphis. I mean, you sign him to the – I think they got him for a one-year, $3 million last summer. 
and he has this, he's having a breakout season, and they shut him down before, you know, like two weeks before the trade deadline, you know, we're going to shut you down, we don't want you to get hurt because we're going to trade you. They don't trade him, they don't have his bird rights on him, so they can't really go over the cap to sign him, so the, the most they could offer him is one of their exceptions, which was like $8 million, and then they lose him for nothing. I mean, the fact that they shut him down and basically publicly said, yeah, we're shutting you down because we're going to trade you, and then didn't end up trading him at all, you could have gotten an asset. I don't care if it's a second round pick, like, get a, get a, Second round pick that's going to fall in the you know thirty through forty range. Get something because you you had this guy, you shut him down, and then you didn't get anything for him, and he left anyways. I mean, terrible botch of the situation. But anyways, he goes to Indiana. He'll be joining an. In, I think this is going to be really interesting. You know, the Pacers had a lot of had a good amount of cap space, and one of the only few playoff teams that had cap space to work with this year ended up with Doug McDermott and Tyreek Evans at the moment. Thaddeus Young opted in. They brought back Darren Collison and Bogdanovich. I mean, this is going to be interesting. You know, Derek, Darren Collison and, and Victor Oladipo are going to start, I assume. And Bogdanovich was good for them. I assume he'll start at small forward. So, you know, Tyreek Evans can, go, you know, go to that six-man role again. Um, but you can do some interesting things here. You know, they go small ball, Thaddeus Young at the five. You can put Collison, Oladipo, um, Evans on the floor at the same time for some, you know, smaller, more shooting, more creation. Um, Evans is not a great defender or a good defender, but he can be at some points. You know, you don't want to rely on him for that, but Oladipo is solid. Miles Turner can be better as a defensive player. Um, you know, the Pacers were pretty mediocre defensively last year, and this is not going to help them, especially a guy like Doug McDermott as well, but they're going to get a lot more shooting. They'll get some playmaking from Tyreek Evans, more offensive threat from McDermott and Evans as well to pair with Oladipo, take a little bit of pressure off Oladipo in terms of creating for others and creating himself, maybe lowering his usage percentage so he can be even better defensively. Um, I like this a lot for, for the Pacers. It's only one year, so they still have they can still keep their cast base moving forward. Um, and for Evans, he gets a nice payday. And if he has another good year, get back on the market again next year. Maybe look for a longer-term deal then. Oh, yeah. This was a sneaky good sign for Indiana. I actually picked this little bit of a trivia up earlier. Well, not trivia, but a, a stat here. Evans is one of just eight NBA players this past season to average 19 points, five rebounds, and five assists. The other seven, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, DeMarcus Cousins, and Blake Griffin. The first five players were the last to win the MVP. The six and seven have combined for five spots on the All-NBA second team. And the eighth player is the Pacers' six man. Like, they get a score. They added a playmaker and a rebounder. He's still just 28 years old. So that's pretty much smack in the middle of his prime right now, assuming that he stays healthy. And he, he's been getting better. His best two-season stretch as a three-point shooter has been his most recent two seasons. Um, he shot a combined 38.6%. For three different teams in 2017-2018. And he was shooting 43.8% in 14 games for Sacramento in 2017. And he shot at a 40% clip in 52 games for Memphis last year. So if we take that sample size, it, it stands to reason that he's really improved his three-point shooting. Which unlocks another dimension for him. Because on the other hand, his turnovers have been trending to career low numbers this past two seasons. While his scoring has astoundingly remained the same. Uh, a 22.6 points per game per 36 minutes. He he had a show out season last year with, with the underperforming Memphis team, which is why there was definitely attention given to him, but I don't think it was too much because it was one of those, you know, good stats, bad team kind of conundrums. But given the sample size that he had before he even came to Memphis, there's reason to believe that this is just his evolving as a player now. Like, this is his prime. To have him in Indiana as an upgrade over Lance Stevenson, and, and as you already mentioned, with different lineup changes, playing alongside Oladipo, you know, moving Lance, um, I'm not Lance, um, <laughs> Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner and others around, this is a really good team. The Pacers definitely got better. Yeah, I like this fit a lot. And the, and the three-point shooting is key. I mean, 
I think it's a nice sample size to kind of bank on the fact that he's improved the shot. But if he does revert back to that 30%, even if it's like a one-year blip, because that can happen for a shooter, especially a guy who's not as known to be a shooter as, as he is, you know, that can hurt him because that, that – kind of hurts his ability to play off the ball. Um, you know, if he can shoot above, you know, 37, 38% on a good number of attempts, then you can really play him alongside Oladipo and Carlson off the ball. He can catch and shoot, do some interesting things. Um, if he can't shoot and he can't play off the ball that much, that means the ball has to be in his hands, which takes it out of Oladipo's hands, which is not what you want. But we're banking on the fact that last year was not an anomaly and, you know, the past kind of year and a half of his shooting is not an anomaly and he, he can continue that, play off the ball, handle the ball, and Oladipo's kind of off the floor. Uh, there's nothing really to, to not like about this year because they didn't commit long-term money to him. Um, they did commit multiple years to Doug McDermott, but that's obviously at a lower price. But they get him in there. They add McDermott and Evans and bring basically all their team back in a Eastern Conference that's weaker now that the Cavs have fallen off. The Pacers are poised to make a jump, obviously. We don't know. I'm not sure I feel comfortable putting them exactly in that top tier of Celtics, Sixers, and Toronto. Um, but I think the Pacers right there, that fourth team, maybe even fighting for that third team, depending on the, how the Raptors do. Um, you can't hate any of their moves. I mean, they did, they kept a good amount of their flexibility moving forward. They added pieces that can help them next year for another run. Most of the guys are either about to hit their prime or in their prime. I like this move for the Pacers, and overall, I like their offseason for sure, which we'll obviously be doing a more in-depth analysis of each team later on in July. Um but let's move on to a trade that I'm trying to group all these transactions as players in, in somewhat of a similar boat in terms of uh, capabilities. And obviously, um, so we've got Wilson Chandler has been traded. Uh, Wilson Chandler and a future second round pick and the rights to swap a future second round pick um, from the Denver Nuggets to the Philadelphia 76ers for basically minimum cash considerations because you have to send something back in a trade. So from the Nuggets perspective, obviously it was pretty clear and we talked about it on uh, our July 1st show that once they signed Jokic and they signed Barton, that team was extremely expensive and obviously it's one thing to pay the luxury tax for one year, but they had a huge bill for a team that might be a six seed, a seven seed, honestly, with how bad, how tough the Western Conference is. Um, I'm really high on the Nuggets, obviously, but that's an expensive <laughs> bill to pay for a team. And so we knew a cost-cutting move was happening. And the fact that most people thought it would be Fareed and or Darrell Arthur, but that probably requires a first-round pick. Wilson Chandler is still a capable wing. Obviously, you don't really want him in a prominent role. You probably don't even want him starting if you're a good, good team. Like if you're a real, you know, like like the Sixers, you're not going to start him. He's just not at that level at this point. But to come off the bench uh, in a six-man role, give you 25 minutes a night, he can. the defense is hit or miss, the three-pointer is hit or miss, but ideally he could be a three and D wing on certain nights, um, which is what you can expect. Obviously his deals, I think, I think 12.8 million. It's the, it's the last year. So the Sixers still have next summer's cap space, which they've been prioritizing by doing one year deals like they did with JJ Redick. Um, and listen, they get maybe a, a future second round pick. That could be nice, you know, depending on where that lands and what draft year that is, because the one and done rule could be done by then. Um, so there be, might be a deeper draft class. I don't see any downside for this at all. And, you know, for the Nuggets, obviously, they save a lot of money. I think the report was that based on his salary and then the luxury tax uh, effects of his salary, they saved, I think, $50 million. Um, and then, you know, getting off for Reed would put them under the luxury tax, so that could be expected coming soon. Maybe they do end up giving a pick to get off for Reed's contract. Maybe they attach one of their younger guys, like a Hernan Gomez or a Beasley, to get off for Reed's contract. They want to get under the luxury tax if they can. Fareed's out of the rotation. They've got a bunch of bigs anyways. Um, so I like this deal for both teams. Um, I, I mean, it's not much downside for the Sixers in terms of long-term flexibility. And for the Nuggets, they save money, which is what they're trying to do here. Oh, yeah. I, my thoughts are 
pretty much right aligned with yours. Not too much more to add to that. The Nuggets save on the luxury tax. They get the space necessary to give Will Barton, you know, his new contract. Um, you already stated Chandler's not a knockdown shooter, which can make it sometimes difficult to plug into like the offense that Denver and most NBA teams like to run. These slash there, but the Nuggets were creative enough to make him work in that. Um, with the 76ers, they get a versatile wing. He should fit right in just fine. He'll play different roles for them. They already have a few ball-dominant players, so all he really needs to do is attack the rim and make the occasional three-pointer. I think his versatility on the defensive end is what will bring the most value to the 76ers. Um, he's pretty solid on that end. Not, not great, but he's also not horrible. He's a solid player that'll fit right in their culture. So, I mean, it works for both teams. You cut costs on one end, you gain a valuable wing that you weren't really finding on the open market for the other. It's, it's pretty good for both sides. Yeah, I agree, and this will allow – and the Nuggets – I talked about this in one of our previous episodes. I think it was that July 1st one, in which case yeah. Barton has talked about wanting to be a starter, and, and the Nuggets basically – I think there was that report that they pretty much you know, promised him that starting small forward position by giving him this new contract, and this opens the way for, up for that. And really what it does for the Nuggets offense, who already have an elite offense and, and would have had an elite offense if, if Chandler was still starting, but Barton gives you a little bit more ball handling – Better shooting, not as much defense, but you know, on a similar boat defensively in terms of my, and it's not going to make that much of a difference on a team that's going to be bad defensively anyways. Um, but their offense with Barton at small forward, their starting lineup could be absolutely monstrous offensively in terms of adding a better shooter and a better ball handler in that small forward position. Now we'll see what they do with the bench piece. They still need another wing. Um, they have Torrey Craig, who's restricted free agent, who I actually I really liked watching him last year, and he's a capable defender. Um, I think they should try and bring him back, but they also might be looking to add someone on a minimum contract because they do need another wing. Um, and then they need guys like Malik Beasley to step up and try and fill that Will Barton off the bench role. Um, Trey Lyles also has to step up offensively as well. They need a backup point guard. So they've still got pieces to figure out for this team, but I like inserting Barton into the starting lineup in terms of the offensive potential there, and they save money. And the Sixers, they pick up a wing that can be serviceable. There's not much pressure on him because they've obviously got Covington ahead of him in that small forward slot, but he can play small ball four. He can sometimes hit the three and sometimes play defense. doesn't usually happen at the same time, but maybe on a contending team he'll be more engaged. <laughs> um, but it's a fresh start for Chandler, who's kind of wanted that recently, and it's a clean start for the Nuggets as well, giving Barton what he wants and saving money. So I think it's a win-win for both sides. Um, but for the Nuggets' perspective, I think I like it a little bit more. Um, but that's the only trade we've had so far. Um, and now we're going to get into some – Interesting signings in terms of how much <laughs> there are signings in which like you, you, you Dwight Howard signed today and that was kind of brushed under the rug and you know Raul Neto Neto signing was probably getting more attention potentially than Dwight Howard signing but let's do Dwight um, and let's couple him with the other move that the Wizards made because the Wizards um, Dwight Howard agreed to a buyout or is going to very soon and we'll get the one year tax mid level exception from the Wizards I think it's around five five or so five and a half million dollars or something like that. And they also went out and signed Jeff Green to a one-year minimum contract. And boy, this locker room is going to be combustible. I mean, you had John Wall and Bradley Beal, which already had tension. They get rid of Gortat, who apparently had problems with John Wall. They had Dwight Howard, who has been shipped off by two teams and was just traded for Timothy Mosgov because they couldn't handle him in the locker room. Um, Kelly Oubre is, could, could be a... a potential issue in the locker room scott brooks is a coach that you don't really get the vibe of being kind of a, having a strong uh strong stranglehold on the locker room i mean on the court i have a lot of issues with this as well and i'll get to that um but off the court this also could be a huge problem oh yeah i, I this is why 
having Jeff Green. I'm just kidding. Uh, I was gonna <laughs> say we'll stabilize the locker room. No, he's a real uh, high character guy. Jeff Green just has uh, a tendency. His agent is a genius for getting him contracts that he did not deserve up until the last two. And we're and now, I mean, going to the Wizards after the way he played with the Cavs, which I mean, there's a lot of negative attention there, but. You could definitely say he's worth more than the minimum contract he got. I'm not really sure in this market what that would have been. But, I mean, he, he really played well. He played 78 games, started 13, was huge in that game seven for the Cavs against the Celtics to kind of get them to the finals. Played really good in, in small ball lineups. Um, he still shoots a little bit too much for someone who can't really shoot but thinks he can. Um, also, you know, turning over the ball a bit more um, when he thinks he's more – when he tries to really play into that – um, point forward role, but he can bring it up. He can facilitate. I'm I'm really saying as much good things I could say about Jeff Green because Dwight Howard, uh, I don't know. He just, at this point, I mean, we've known this for a while. I knew it from when he left LA. I'm just going to put it out there. But his baggage, and it, it, he plays well. He always averages solid numbers, but his temperament and his, and his um, baggage really sometimes, or at this the last three teams seems to have been more harm than good, as if that outweighed whatever contributions he was bringing on the basketball end, on the statistical end. He averaged 16 points and 12 rebounds while playing 81 games for the Hornets last season. He still remained an arguably productive player, inarguably productive player, but, I mean, there's too much going on behind the scenes. It's a lot. And now, for the Warriors, who have already historically been willing to kind of overlook personalities and just throw a hodgepodge of... um just dissenting voices in the same locker room and watch them combust around playoff time. Now you bring in another one who still thinks that he's, uh, uh, I don't know. I think Dwight still thinks he's a star. He's a very solid center, but um, the, the diva attitude that is in that locker room, along with the other pair of divas and a uh, Kelly Oubre, who's not really a, he's not a solid steady presence for a young player. Otto Porter's there. It, it's just so much room for that team to just do a classic wizard second round flame out. Yeah, and um, this is completely off topic. I was looking it up while you were talking because I, I wanted to give a stat about the Nuggets lineup with Will Barton, and I just found it. Sorry. Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. Gary Harris, Will Barton, Millsap, Jokic, projected starting lineup for the next season. They only played 60 – this lineup only played 65 minutes last year, combination of things. Millsap missing a lot of time, injuries here and there. Barton not starting a lot because Chandler was there. But they had a 32.7 net rating. <laughs> uh, they had an offensive rating wow. of 125 and a defensive rating of 92. Obviously, that defensive rating won't be sustained next season. The offensive rating is by far not even close to one of the greatest – I mean, it's not even close to being – it's the greatest of all – would be the greatest of all time by far. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. But just want to throw that out there. I mean, that's an, an insane number in 65 minutes. It's not going to be that good, but I like the potential there. But back to Dwight Howard. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anything but Dwight. If getting traded for Timothy Mozgov does not humble you as a player, there's nothing that will in the NBA. I mean, if you think you're a star and then you end up getting traded for Mozgov, you have to sit there and look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? Maybe I'm just not a star anymore. Maybe I'm just a good player that can be much better if I actually, you know, set screens and ran the pick and roll and stopped posting up. And that's where my concern is on the floor. You know, we talk about the issues that Gortat had with John Wall, but Gortat was, I think he led the league in screen assists. He was always willing to set good screens and just screen and, and, you know, get the ball in the pick and roll and finish at the rim. He's not calling for post-ups, okay? You're not getting that from Dwight Howard. You're getting a guy that will set you screens but is going to expect alley-oops. And which it's a different, you know, that gives a different dynamic to the Wizards' offense because they didn't have that in Gortat. Um, 
but he's going to expect, I mean, unless something changes and we have no indication that it will based on the last two years and he's been traded and he should have been humbled over the past couple of years, but he apparently hasn't. He's going to demand post-ups that are going to be extremely inefficient. He's going to turn the ball over. He's going to do some weird stuff and try and handle the ball in transition when we know John Wall is one of the most dynamic players in transition possibly the league's ever seen. Um, and he's not going to be willing to set those screens that Gortat did. Not going, not going to do the dirty work, you know, setting screens and just kind of hoping to get the ball in the pick and roll. He doesn't have the the best hands to catch the ball in the pick and roll like Gortat did. There are a lot of concerns here. Now he can help them on the on the on the boards, defensively and offensive glass. He can protect the rim. He's still a capable defender, losing that athleticism, but he still can do it. Um, better athlete than Gortat, which is what John Wall has been saying. He wants a better athlete, or, you know, in the paint. Um, but I have more concerns than I do kind of positive feelings about this move. And for, and, that, and that's not even talking about the potential backlash in the locker room. I, all right, we had a, a brief power outage there on Corbin's end. Um, but so as I was saying about Dwight, in the end, and the moves that the Wizards made in general today, in the end, I like one of them in Jeff Green, but that's not a move that really puts you over the edge in terms of competing with those other Eastern Conference teams. And this is a team that got, was the AC last year, had a lot of turmoil, John Wall injuries, um, you know, they add all, we forgot we forgot to mention Austin Rivers in that locker room, and he is someone who's also had issues before as well. So, Oops. I mean, they added some talent, um, but I mean, I just if you told me that they go through the season without one or two, you know, scandals or rumors about locker room tension, I would I would bet you a hundred bucks that they don't. I mean, there's going to be reports about it. And I'm not sure if it, how much it'll affect their play, but this is a team that was AC last year. They added some talent, but in the end, like these are not moves on the court that probably push you over the edge of the other four or five teams that are we mentioned: Pacers, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics. Um, Heat are always tough, so I like the Jeff Green move, but it doesn't put you over the edge. And I, I just don't like the Dwight Howard move. To, you know, unless he drastically changes as a person on and off the floor. There's nothing more to say on that. You're right. You kind of nailed them both. There, all both those signings are. Low reward, high risk, in my opinion. Because if they both play the best ability, the Wizards, I mean, I guess they could be in the conversation with Philadelphia and Boston, maybe. And if not, things can just be a walking dumpster fire up there. So, I mean, they'll be a team to keep an eye on. I mean, and that's what happens when you trade Gortat and you, you're stuck with Yamahimi as your potential starting center. If you're going to try to make the playoffs, you're going to be so desperate. You're going to look at the, the center market and look at Dwight Howard and say, you know what? He's got talent. Maybe we can be the, the final team to actually convince him to change on the floor and off the floor. Um, but I just don't see it happening, especially in that locker room with all those you know combustible personalities. And I, I think that they can make the playoffs based on their talent. But if they get hit, oh, by, yeah. an, if they get hit by an injury like a John Wall injury again or maybe a Bradley Beal injury or something like that, they could be in trouble. I mean, the East is so bad that it's, it's going to be hard to miss the playoffs. Um, but you you factor in an injury with that locker room, it's possible. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I think they'll get I, in, but I think it could be another quick elimination in the first round, if not you know easy fodder in the second if they play a really bad team in the first round. True. And this is, this is a question I have. This is like the ultimate Dwight Howard value question. I really am waiting for your opinion here. Would you rather have for Washington Dwight Howard or Jan Mahimi start? Because if you say Jan Mahimi, as bad as we both know he is, over Dwight Howard, then I just say it's, it's, it's time to go walk away, man. It's tough because Jan Mahimi, <laughs> right? Like, I'm sorry. Jan Mahimi will set the screens, okay? He'll set the screens that Wall and Beal oh, kneel wow, to operate wow. offensively. He will not be calling for post touches. He will, I mean, yes, he's terrible offensively in terms of his hands, yes. and defensively, he's not good anymore, and he fouls at an incredible rate. I don't know. I mean, it's an incredible oh, how it's much he fouls. Um, but. I'd still go with Dwight just because of the talent and the ability to catch lobs in the pick and roll. Well, if he runs the pick and roll. Um, 
I would pick Dwight, but just the fact that I know Mahimi and other guys who are just not at Dwight's level of ego would actually set the screens that this Wizards offense kind of relies on what they did with Gortat. So I would pick Dwight, but I mean, I would think about it for a little bit. Okay, so for Dwight, if he if you are listening, this isn't the end of the line for you. You're still better than Jan Mahimi, but you did get traded for Mozgov, so let that be motivation to you. Yeah, he must be humbled by now. But uh, oh man! All right, let's move on to the Jazz, who made two uh, two more re-signings. They traded they re-signed Derek Favors yesterday, um, which we talked about on our July second episode. Today they made two more, and they shored up their backcourt. They shored up their point guard depth, really. And uh, Dante Exum is back on a very surprising three years, $33 million deal. And I mentioned Raul Neto before got two years, $4.2 million, but the second year is non-guaranteed. Again, one of those contracts we've seen, and the Jazz love their non-guarantees. They gave one to Derek Favors as well. Um, Raul Neto, solid player, kind of a third-string point guard, obviously with injury problems with Rubio and XM that, that could happen during the year. He'll get some run. Um, capable ball handler, not much to say about him. That contract, it's, it could just be a one-year kind of $2.1 million deal, which is basically a veteran's minimum. I don't have much to say about that one. It's, it shores up their depth. The Dante XM one's interesting. And restricted free agent, and what we've seen is that the restricted free agency market is drying up extremely quickly because no teams have money anymore and the teams that have the money aren't interested in these players. That's why Clint Capella is not going to get an offer pretty much from any team um, and we'll just have to try and negotiate something with the Rockets. Jabari Parker, Zach Levine in the same boat. We don't know what the market was with Dante Exum, an extremely injury-prone player. Um, he had a torn MCL, a torn ACL, I believe, and the separated shoulder last year. Um, he came back last year and did some nice things at the end of the regular season. He played some great defense in the playoffs, especially against James Harden in that second-round series. Um, and that's where he makes his. That's what his calling card is at the moment. Is as a defensive player. I mean, extremely long. The big height, I think he's, what, 6'7", or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. He can be a real problem defensively, especially when you have someone who can be who can disrupt offensives that much at point guard, and then you can have him on the floor at the same, at the same time as Rudy Gobert and surround him with other guys like Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder. Like, this could be – I mean, the Jazz always are a great defense, but this really could be a great defense if Exum can stay on the floor and get a good amount of minutes next to those great defenders. The thing is, mm-hmm. he hasn't been able to stay on the floor. And I thought there was going to be a non-guarantee in one of these years. Probably the, I thought the third year would be non-guaranteed or something, or maybe a team option somewhere in there. But it looks like all the reports are that it's straight up three years, $33 million. And what I think this shows is how much the Jazz believe in Exum. I would consider myself more of a, a believer in Exum than the general fan is. Um, obviously rough offensively in terms of his shots, not really there. Um, his ball handling's good. He can attack the rim, but he's not a great finisher. Um, not the best passer. Really, it's all about that defensive potential. And, you know, I, I, I can buy into that potential, but if you ask me, I think there's too much money. I think they kind of outbid themselves because I don't think there was a team giving him anywhere close to this. And I get it. They drafted him, and this is a team that, you know, has pride in who they draft and, you know, doesn't really attract free agents, so they kind of want to make sure that their draft picks turn out and, this is a contract to make sure that they get Exum around, you know, for the next couple of years. But I think it's an overpay. The years might be concerning. Um, I would have liked the team option somewhere in there at a lower price just to make sure he can prove himself into another contract. But if he continues to get injured, this contract could be bad for a team that could have a lot of cap space next summer and actually try and attract a star player to come to a nice core of Mitchell and Gobert. Um, but if, if he if he stays on the floor, he could play up to this contract, especially on the defensive end. Um, but if he gets if he just continues with how his career has turned out so far and can't stay on the floor and just shows flashes here and there, you know, every twenty games or so, this contract could bite them moving forward. 
Oh, yeah. And you can tell, as you already stated, that the Jazz really show or have a lot of belief in Exum because of all the signings they've made this offseason, he's the only one that signed to a guaranteed contract beyond next year. So, I mean, there you go with that. And he has shown flash of potential. The Jazz obviously love him. And that, and that's good, as you said, to have a player that you draft that you want to stick with as an organization. Um, among the free agent point guards that were out there, he's clearly one of the best in terms of potential that's still yet to be realized, as well as a pretty solid starting spot as a player right now. Um, however, I agree with you. That price does seem high. He played just 14 games last season with injury. He had the shoulder surgery this past season, the ACL two seasons before that. Um, he's played a total of 80 games in the last three years. Healthy, you, you see flashes of why he was drafted fifth overall in 2014, but he shot 27.8% from three. He does not have a three-point shot. He still turns the ball over way too much. Um, against OKC, I remember him having several possessions where he was just out of control. And especially when Rubio was out, you, you were worried as far as seeing him at point guard uh, because he was just going just 100 miles per hour, almost like Russell Westbrook, but worse, um, as far as that inevitable turnover or crazy shot that would occur at Westbrook's worst moments, you would see flashes of that on like two or three possessions a game with Exum. But he did have a really good second round um, with that defense on Harden. Um, he, obviously, the ball on the other end was the problem because he was still averaging a lot of turnovers. But, hey, he's 22. If he if he stays on the court, he can live up to that contract. Um, I think that's just kind of what it is, is to make good for him in the sense that he has to make good because otherwise you can't justify it. Yeah, he has to stay on the floor. He has to improve some area of, of his offensive game, and he's he's regressed as a three-point shooter. His rookie oh. year, he shot 31%, or 31.5%. Uh, didn't play in 2015-16, 2016-17, 29 Last year, 27.8%. In four years since being drafted, he's played 162 games total. Um, the turnovers can be an issue. Um, really, you just got to hope he turns into a lockdown defensive player at the point guard position because that would be huge for them, and that's pretty much the only way I see this contract being worth it. Um, it Maybe he does develop a decent shot where he can shoot a uh, league average from beyond the arc and become somewhat of a threat there. Maybe he becomes better attacking the rim. Maybe he becomes a better playmaker. Become, we could make this contract worth it, and one of them is obviously staying on the floor. Um, mm -hmm. But we'll see. I, I mean, this team had cap space aspirations and, and can still have them, obviously, next summer. Um, but if this contract becomes a net negative in terms of having to pay him $11 million a year for the next two years for an injury-prone player that just can't stay on the floor or be worth the contract, it won't. It might not kill their, their cap space aspirations, but it could damage them a little bit. Oh, yeah. And speaking of that, I had a, had a question slash perfect transition. Do you think that Exxon could be half as good for the Jazz as Michael Carter-Williams would be for the Rockets? <sighs> <laughs> why did you have to do that? I mean, why? Sorry. I mean, I, I got I got that Twitter notification today that – I mean, I got the notification on, on Sunday that they were meeting with him, and I, all I did was tweet out that Michael Scott uh, gif from the office of just him yelling at Toby. Um, just, no, no, just no. I, I mean, and, and here's the thing. This uh -huh. signing was announced, I think, at like 11 a.m. Eastern time today or something. So I've had a lot of time to kind of think about it and, and look over some stats and, you know, hear about it's other people bring out some uh, ideas to the table that maybe I hadn't seen before. And basically what it comes down to is this. you, I expect a Rockets front office that I, I think is pretty smart and most people would agree to, to view this signing as adding a defensive wing. 
Uh, when like it's not if you view this signing as adding Michael Carter Williams as a backup point guard, which I'll get to in a second in terms of him not even actually getting minutes at that position when the team is healthy. If you think about it, um, if you view this signing as signing a six-six wing with a long wingspan who has shown defensive potential in the past, um, and as apparently is, is a, can be a much better switch defender, which is what the Rockets execute and what teams that the, that Carter Williams were on, like the Hornets, um, Bulls, Bucks, etc., recently do not do, that could unlock him even more defensively. You get that long wingspan, that height, 6'6", you switch him on, and he can guard a lot of multiple positions. But, number one, he won't get minutes at point guard, so I'm not sure where he fits onto the floor because when the team's healthy, you have the, point, you have the backcourt rotation of Harden, Paul, and Eric Gordon. They stagger Harden and Paul, so one of them's always on the floor, and then it, they start off with the game with Paul and Harden, then it's Paul and Gordon, then it's Harden and Gordon, then it's Harden, you know what I mean? Like, they, they're always, yeah. those three take up all the minutes. The only reason Carter Williams will get minutes at point guard or in the backcourt, pretty much, is be when Chris Paul or any of the other, other guards are injured, which will happen, because Chris Paul gets injured, Eric Gordon can be injury prone, James Harden got an injury last year, and they probably want to rest him even more this season. So that'll happen. Um, but really, he has to play good defense on the wing. Now, the other hand is his offensive game, the numbers. You look at the numbers, and your eyes will potentially bleed, okay, if, if not just hurt right away. Because this is a guy who shot 33% from the field last year. 33%. 20, oh, 23.7% on threes. He turns the ball over. He cannot score. He can't shoot. He's not going to create for others really at an above-average rate. Um, he shot 55.6% within three feet of the rim. That is, I mean, that's just bad for a guard. Um, can't hit threes, obviously, so I'm not sure what the Rockets are doing. Um, can't hit mid-range jumpers. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, the, the, the Warriors have Sean Livingston. Well, Sean Livingston's one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. Carter Williams is terrible at shooting mid-rangers. He shot 21% with, from, from within 10 to 16 feet of the rim, a classic mid-range jumper. Uh, he's so bad offensively. And this is what Kevin Pelton wrote up in his um, – kind of analysis of the signing is that sure even if he was even if he does become a, a capable defender that can switch and actually bring something on that end of the floor his offense is so bad that it'll it'll you know how people say you can kind of play someone off the floor like you can play a big off the floor he'll play himself off the floor on the <laughs> offensive end okay which is very hard to say for a lot of people in this league people, voluntarily <laughs> people said you know, like Andre Robeson was that classic example, right? He couldn't hit free throws or shoot threes, so you could just hack him, and then you'd be forced to take him off the floor or just don't guard him on the three-point line. When Carter Williams is on the floor, and I'm not sure how often that's going to happen, right? Because they still have – they could bring back Mbamute and, and maybe add another wing for a minimum, and then we're, we're not really talking about Carter Williams. But as of right now, if he were to get minutes, any minutes he's on the floor, on the offensive end, teams are going to treat him worse than Andre Roberson. And they – you know, I mean – I, I, I man, I can't even talk about this because I, I just he should have to volunteer to play for an NBA team. No team should pay him. Okay, they should he should pay to try out for an NBA team and oh, then weak. get a roster spot. Okay, because I mean it's a veterans minimum, but like why? I it's the defensive potential. I get it. He's six six, right? But the mm -hmm. offensive end is so bad that will he even be able to play on the defensive end? I don't know. Forget it. Just go. Just, I, I just mean, go. Please, please talk, right? <laughs> okay, because I have very little to add to you. I agree it was a horrible deal. I just wanted to see you go off, and, and you, you certainly did. So I'm just going to control my laughing here. I'm thinking that, you know, they want an emergency guard if, 
you know, Harden and Chris Paul and, and Eric Gordon or any combination that got injured, their hope is probably that if he does step in at the point, if he does, as opposed to playing a shooting guard with Harden or Paul, which would be disastrous, that he can play with enough shooters that his own, <laughs> to put it lightly, shortcomings as an actual catch-and-shoot threat or shooting threat, period, won't be a factor. Um, it's just crazy to see how far he's fallen where, you know, he's picked 11th, in the 2013 draft, and he really represented the start of the process. And we go from that to you saying that he should be <laughs> paying <laughs> NBA teams for the honor and privilege of playing for their franchise. So there's not much more to say. It's an interesting move. I'm not really sure what they were thinking that way. I get it in the defensive potential, but I feel like there's other players. I mean, they could have went and targeted Bamute and actually like cleared him up and got him done like right off the top. I don't understand. At one point, they said, well, let's, you know, secure Michael Carter Williams real quick before he's off the market. Like, like that was a priority. You know, it was just uh, an interesting move. I, even not really watching the Rockets as much until later in the playoffs and not being the Rockets insider that you are, I thought it was a rather curious miscast fit for him. Um, you pretty much went into all of the many weaknesses and the one strength potentially that he may bring to the table. So with that, um, I say we should probably move on. Well, <laughs> I, gotta, I, go I, I, I gotta add, add a little bit because okay, <laughs> I mean, that, and that's what you I, you brought it up that you know why try and get Carter Williams now when there are other guards in the market, and that's exactly why I believe it's really kind of with the with the focus in mind of maybe transitioning him to play a wing role where he's six six, which is you know average shooting guard size, maybe even above average for shooting guard, a little bit below average for small forwards, but you know long wingspan that can make up for it. You know, I think that's what it is because there were other guards available, even like, you know, Jameer Nelson, Devin Harris, etc. They could have gone after more traditional point guards for that depth, which is why I don't think that they're going to plan to use him in that role if they use him at all. Honestly, this is a minimum. If they bring back Mbamute and add someone else, maybe like a James Ennis or Trevion Graham or something like that, Carter Williams may never see the floor, honestly. But let's say he does. I think it'll be as a defensive wing because you look at the metrics, defensive real plus minus, he actually graded out as 11th among point guards last year. And his defensive real plus minus, I mean, defensive box plus minus, excuse me, was 2.0, positive 2.0, which is really good. I'm not saying he's a really good defender. Obviously, those metrics are extremely noisy, and it's so hard to evaluate defense. But he's going to make his calling card on the defensive end. And because of that, and because of how early this happened in free agency when there are other guards on the market, I think they had this... I think they have him strictly viewed as a defensive wing, honestly. I mean, I'm not sure where that factors into him being able to play on offense because he can't, but I don't think they view this as a point guard move. I think they really view this as if you if you see the floor, it'll be at shooting guard or small forward when you're going to be guarding other people, other players that are you know taking pressure off Harden and Gordon to guard players. Nowhere near the defender Trevor Ariza is, but that's what I think it is because the timing of it, and his height and his kind of ability to switch on defense makes me think that they view him as, listen, you've played point guard all these years, you've been handling the ball, but listen, in our offense, only two guys, maybe three with Eric Gordon, handle the ball. So you're going to be playing defense on the wing, and well, we'll leave you, you know, you can stay in the front court for offense, we'll play four and five on that on the floor, I don't know about that, but I mean, that's what uh, I view it as. And I get that, but if that's the case, if we're looking for a defensive wing, last I checked, David Nawaba's still out there. And, and, and brings you a, 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 the same a, a type of defensive acumen, in my opinion, maybe not on the box scores you just mentioned. Um, the stats number is a very good defender, and he's also not that good a shooter. But, I mean, he has to be better than Michael Carter-Williams. Carter-Williams has hit exactly, like, just over 25% of his threes in his career. I mean, and he's a restricted free agent, yes, but I don't think that 
I mean, that Houston could not go for him. You know, he's an energizer. He averages seven points a game, four rebounds, and, and just over an assist in 22 minutes. They're not even going to need that in Houston. Uh, that's, that's one of those things where I, I get that if he's a wing, um, it makes more sense as far as his fit. But then if that's the case, you know, there's still James Ennis. Um, there's still Michael Beasley. There's still wings. They don't bring the defensive type of threat that Michael Carter-Williams does. But they're, I would say, much better as wings in the free agent market. Would, would you agree? Oh, no, I agree. I'm not saying – I'm just saying that that's what I think that their mindset oh, is. Okay. I don't justify the move like that. Oh, okay. Um, I agree, and I think that David Nwaba being a restricted free agent, the Rockets just have no money, honestly. They only have their exceptions to kind of offer players, and that's probably what they have in mind for Mbamute Mute or a guy like James Ennis, which is why I don't think they want to tie their money up to a restricted free agent because restricted free agent, once you make that offer sheet, your money is tied up, and then that team, the Bulls in that case, would have um, you know three days to kind of wait on the decision. And that's three days after the moratorium ends, which is July 6th, so they really could have until July 9th to decide and by then, I mean the you know Mabamute could be gone, and obviously Mabamute is key there. So I think they just yeah, went after I him. That. I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe he did a did, maybe he drugged them in their free agency meeting and just kind of <laughs> played played highlights of his rookie season. I, I don't know. Okay, let's yeah, just move that, on, that please, please. Triple double. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got another interest. Listen, the Warriors. Let's just put it out of the way. The Warriors brought back Kevon Looney for a one-year minimum deal, which actually monetary-wise is less value than the team option they declined for. So they actually saved money. They declined a team option for him that I think was $2.1 million, and his one-year minimum I think is $1.6, so they somehow saved money. But the other thing is, why? how did, how did other teams let them – how did they let him keep Kevon Looney at a minimum? This is a This is a – Listen, this is not a game-changing big. This is not a starting center in the NBA by any means. But what we saw in the playoffs was a big that from time to time could keep up on the perimeter when switching on to James Harden and Chris Paul, which very few bigs can do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, pretty rough offensively. But defensively, he can really give you something. I mean, defensive box plus minus of 2.1. Um in the playoffs, that was 2.2. 2. Uh, he had a box plus minus of 3.0, so he was a positive on both ends of the floor. Uh, obviously, that happens when you play with all-time offensive players. But this is a guy that can somewhat switch on the perimeter, can help kind of defend the rim. He's still raw. He's 22 years old. I just don't understand why any other team isn't just throwing out a little bit more money or more guaranteed years or something. And sure, maybe he like and, and Golden State's big on him, right? He'll, he probably will start at center until, you know, maybe Cousins is back, or maybe he'll switch with Jordan Bell here or there. He'll get a nice role with the Warriors, another championship ring, of course, but I think that there could have been teams here that have cap space. He's still young, so he fits into a rebuilding team's plans, obviously. He's not going to be anywhere close to a core piece of that team, but why not throw more money at him or more guaranteed years and see if you can get him? I mean, listen, he's not... I'm not going to say, oh, the rich, you know, keep getting richer or, or keep retaining their guys <laughs> because he's not that level, with but, the Looney. but this, yeah. is a, this is a nice player that I think that would be inter- I mean, in the dunked on mock offseason, I think that they had the Rockets signing Kevon Looney after the Warriors didn't have the money for him and they gave him you know, more money from the Rockets' perspective. And I'm not saying the Rockets should have done that, but other teams, there are other teams that still have cap space, other teams that can offer him more money through exceptions or something like that. If I'm another team, I'm looking at Kevon Looney as a backup center that can switch and kind of defend the rim and grow as a 22-year-old, and I'm trying to steal him from the Warriors. Uh, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, if I'm the Rockets, though, if you have the chance to get – I hate to say this, but Michael Carter Williams, you have to take it. But um, no, this is another another example of the Warriors just making. I mean, with Demarcus Cousins and Kevon Looney, I, at first I'm not gonna lie, I was like, how did anyone, you know, not get Demarcus Cousins? Why would he go to the Warriors? Da, 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 you know, knee jerk NBA reactionary fan, you know, sort of reactions. But first with the signing of Cousins, then with the signing of Looney, the Warriors aren't making any 
like grandiose secret plans. They're just making the right move. Teams could have signed Looney just like they could have signed Cousins. And words coming out that Cousins had little to no offers out there. I'm not sure about Looney, but to get him on the minimum doesn't really reflect a plethora of suitors for him. It really doesn't, even with the affinity toward each other, the mutual affinity they have between Looney and the Warriors. So it's a solid pickup for a team that uses him. He has that defensive potential. He's already shown that. His offensive struggles will be just mitigated by the other four All-Stars that are in the lineup with him. So he'll have no problem there. It's a sneaky good pickup for the Warriors yet again. And they managed to retain one of their own for the minimum, uh, you know, in a roster that's sky high and luxury tax and everything. That's that's a good move, especially for a big. Yeah, and I might be a little bit higher on Kevon Looney as, and than other people are, but I think that there just should have been teams – you know, and maybe there were teams offering him something else and he still wanted to stay, but there should have been teams trying to steal him from the Warriors because they probably could have if they gave him a little bit more money or more guaranteed years. But we don't know the behind-the-scenes aspect of it. But um, let's get to um, – so those are all the signings and transactions from today, July 3rd. Um, there is a report that we can talk about for a little bit. Um, Devin Booker is close to a, a max extension with the Phoenix Suns, five years, $158 million. They had, you know, this came out, uh, you know, June 30th that they were planning to offer it. Then there was that brief report that he was angry that he wasn't notified about Tyler Eulis being cut. Um, but then they, you know, they, they throw the money at him and he's like, yeah, I'm going to sign it anyways. Um, <laughs> money talks. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't have much to say about this. I mean, there are people who will bash Booker and there was a lot of bashing on Twitter. You know, he doesn't contribute to winning. His advanced, you know, his advanced stats are terrible, blah, blah, blah. He's putting up, they're really bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, he puts up empty stats on a bad team, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I have concerns about Booker. I don't, I have concerns about him ever living up to this contract. But it, for these franchises that, you know, have these good players that can kind of sell tickets and put up nice numbers, and, and we don't know. He hasn't been put in a situation to win yet, just yet. So we'll see. Maybe we'll see when the time comes when they actually build a contender around him. And you know, this team could, this team, this season should be more competitive, and then the following season they should be more competitive. So we'll see pretty soon if he can you know, actually contribute to winning. But so far. I mean, what are you going to do? Let him go? Trade him? Like, I just don't understand these people that are like, oh, my God, how could you offer him this? I mean, these markets need to offer these players these kind of contracts to keep them. And they did, and I have no problem with it, even though I have concerns and probably think that he will never live up to this just Mm -hmm. because we do have, what, three years of his career to kind of go off of that. He's a good player. He'll score a lot of points. He'll get a decent amount of assists. He'll shoot some threes. Defense is bad, really bad, actually. Um, and Horrible. maybe maybe he just can't contribute to winning, and you know, but we don't know that for sure yet. And maybe we're we're proven right that he just can't contribute to winning when they actually do build a contender around him if they do properly. But at this point, you offer him the extension. What else are you gonna do? Let him go? I mean, it doesn't make sense. You have to keep these players in these markets, and that's what they're doing. Exactly. No, there's not really much more to add to that. He's only 21. Um, definitely one can make an argument that is good stats, bad team type deal. But as you already said, Phoenix hasn't exactly put him in the situation where he can thrive, you know, on a successful team. He's coming off of a career high average in points, assists, and rebounds. He had 24.9 points per game, 4.7 assists, 4.5 rebounds. He shot 38% from three. I watched him here, you know, live in Arizona a couple times. Um, he's definitely improved uh, gaining some lead guard type of responsibilities just you know when he first came in he was almost strictly the shooter that had some potential handling and distributing the ball now he's a lot more comfortable making reads um especially off the pick and roll and and at least finding more than just the basic pass so he's growing on that end defensively i've seen it up close it is just as ugly as it is on tv but he's still just 21 and he i mean a little trivia here youngest player to score more than 60 points in nba game we all remember that 
70 dropped on the Celtics, you know, as a 20-year-old there. Um, one thing I, I do like to say, hopefully, you know, he grows into a little bit of that contract. As you said, I do not think he will live up to it. I also don't think that he'll stink it up like Andrew Wiggins is on his contract, though. So there is some middle ground there. And you already said it. What are you supposed to do? You know, you're Phoenix right now. You have him. He's a, 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 a top pick. You have DeAndre Ayton now, who's a former number one. You have Josh Jackson, who was last year's number four pick. That can potentially form a, a young core for the Suns. At this point, you haven't made the playoffs since 2010. These are players that show a flash of potential. If you don't retain him, then what? Then you have to deal with hurt feelings and, and a rough restrictive free agency moving forward where he could possibly just go play for the qualifying offer. There's so many ways that could go wrong. You have to make that and see what happens. It's not even something to really negotiate. If you're Phoenix and you're a fan of Phoenix and you're looking at this deal going, oh, is he not worth the money? I can agree with that. But at the same time, you have to give it to him because what? Would you rather not have him in Phoenix? As you already stated, then we're, we're just getting really geeked up over what? Brandon Knight? I mean, it's not – Phoenix is devoid of star talent. They haven't had it. Devin Book is the closest thing that they've had since Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. You pay your man. He's still 21, plenty of room to grow. Hopefully, you know, he keeps fleshing out the offensive game, tr- gets an iota of defensive intensity on that end, and he becomes your lead player for, for, to- for to- years to come. But that, that's kind of where we're at. You you don't really have an option there. Yeah, and we don't know how tough they negotiated this. Like, maybe they, they – I mean, we don't know this, but maybe they didn't try and negotiate at all and they just said, fine, we'll give you the max. I would have tried to kind of start at a lower price just, you know, just because mm-hmm. if you're the Suns front office, I think they probably have a good idea of, of that he probably won't live up to exactly this much money. So maybe they tried to start him off at a lower deal. We don't know if they tried to offer that first and – his agent and, and basically said, no, give us the max or we'll leave eventually, uh, even though they have restricted rights. Um, so, listen, I think that I, I agree with you. I mean, we, we are on the same page here. They kind of have to do it. I mean, maybe at a lower price they could have gotten. Um, but, you know, they bring in Trevor Reza. Maybe he can wear off him on the defensive end, show him a little bit more about what it takes to actually contribute to winning. Again, they have a core around him. They're not going to be good this year. Um, maybe next year they'll be better, but they're going to actually start trying competing. Um, still got to figure out that point guard situation, but him, you know, Mikhail Bridges, I think it can be a really nice 3 and D prospect. Josh Jackson has to develop the three-pointer, but can be a good defender. You got Trevor Reza there for some veteran presence and can help out this year. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton, they still got other guys like Chris and Bender. We're not sure what they're going to do with them, if they're going to grow and develop at all, or just, you know, maybe be traded in the future. Um, they've got Sorry. a, they've got a core. Um, we'll see how long it takes them to compete, and when they do try and actually start putting a winning team on the floor, which will probably start next year, I assume, um, we'll see if Devin Booker can contribute to winning and how much he can actually live up to this contract. We both have doubts, but that's fine because they have to give him somewhat of this deal, maybe not the full max, maybe they could have tried to start at a lower price, um, but they kind of have to give him a offer that's going to keep him around for a while, and they just did that, and it looks like he's going to sign it and be a son for at least the next five years, and then we'll see. Yep, actually, I just got an update 33 minutes ago that the meeting ended with no answers just yet. But, I mean, we, we, it's safe to assume they'll reach the end of the moratorium with the deal in place. So, I think they are trying to hammer that out, as you said. Maybe just make it a little more interesting as far as, you know, what kind of, is there an option at the end of the year? Is it the full max? I'm, I'm sure that's the reason why they're having the delay right now. But, as of 33 minutes ago, Dave King, NBA, said that they ended with no answers so far. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I expect them to sign it probably this weekend or something like that. Or it could happen Same. sometime during the offseason anyways. Um, but, yeah, all right, so that wraps up July 3rd. bunch of, you know, kind of role players, you know, somewhat mid-level starters, you know, traded and signed. 
Um, free agency is going to probably start getting really, really slow now. And we might, might not have enough content for an episode on July 4th. But then again, we covered the NBA. And who knows who's going to be traded or signed or something like that. And we'll have enough to talk about. But we'll obviously be in, in touch with you guys on Twitter. Um, you can follow me on Twitter or you know follow Corbin or our site account at the 94 Feet Report. You'll get updates on the show, of course. And you can continue to check out our content at 94FeetReport.com. Um, got an article up today from one of our writers about – the Eastern Conference, analyzing it in a post-LeBron era. Um, oh, we got yeah. an article tomorrow coming out about the Andre Jordan finally joining the Mavericks and how he'll fit in there. Um, and we'll have more content throughout the week, of course. So follow all of our stuff, 94feetreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at the 94feetreport. Of course, you can follow Corbin and I at our usual handles. Um, everyone have a happy Independence Day. We may or may not be back with an episode you know, this week or tomorrow or maybe this weekend or something like that, but we'll be in touch with that. Um, and, yeah, take care. All right, Chuck.